Welcome to yet another installment of the History Teachers Talking Podcast's short lecture series. I am your host, Peter Zablocki. Don't forget to join Thomas Reska and I every week as we delve into the annals of history, explore the past, make connections to the present, and occasionally question the future. You can always connect with us on our website at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com, evergreenpodcast.com, or find us on Facebook, X, and Instagram. Until then, enjoy today's episode. Leon Trotsky, the man marked for death by one of history's bloodiest dictators, tended to his rabbits, surrounded by large concrete walls. He should have felt safe with the countless armed guards surrounding the perimeter, and yet he never really could, could he? The Soviet Premier Stalin had made it obvious that one did not cross him, and Trotsky had done just that and more. The former Soviet leader looked up from his animals and smiled at the guests coming through the compound gates. Leon Trotsky had just minutes to live. Born as Leon Davidovich Bronstein into a Ukrainian Jewish family in 1879, Leon Trotsky grew up amid the revolutionary movements in a highly oppressive Russian empire. By the age of 18, he adopted Marxism, dedicating his life to one overarching objective, the global revolution of the working class. The first 1905 Russian Revolution witnessed the formation of the initial radical councils called Soviets in major cities across Russia. These organizations represented the working masses and appealed to the 26-year-old Trotsky who soon held the position of a chairman of the St. Petersburg Soviet. Yet, opposition to the Tsar and thus the radical Soviets would not be tolerated. Tsar Nicholas II cracked down on leftist movements. Like all other radical leaders, Trotsky was put on trial and given a life sentence to Siberia due to his revolutionary involvement. The young Trotsky managed to escape and continued his life as a radical thinker in Vienna, changing his name to Leon Trotsky. He would remain in exile until May 1917, when Russia was once again poised for a new revolution. By 1917, Russia was facing severe social, economic, and political challenges. World War I had resulted in heavy casualties and economic strain, while food shortages and inflation were causing widespread discontent among the population. Additionally, the autocratic rule of Tsar Nicholas II had led to widespread dissatisfaction and calls for political reforms. What the world would come to know as the Russian Revolution began in Petrograd, now St. Petersburg, with spontaneous strikes and protests on February 23, 1917. Workers, soldiers, and various political groups demanded bread, an end to the war, and political reforms. The situation escalated, and by late February, key military units had joined the protesters. Facing a loss of support from the military and pressure from his advisors, Tsar Nicholas II abdicated the throne on March 2, 1917. Following the abdication, a provisional government was established, led by moderate and liberal political figures. It proclaimed its intention to introduce democratic reforms and to continue Russia's participation in World War I. Yet the situation under the provisional government only worsened as the new government failed to address the people's demands. The Bolshevik party, led by one Vladimir Lenin, saw an opportunity to seize power. Lenin had returned to Russia from exile in April 1917 and quickly gained support among workers, soldiers, and sailors. On the night of October 25th and 26th, the Bolsheviks, with the support of the Red Guards and the Petrograd Soviet, overthrew the provisional government in a relatively bloodless coup. The Bolsheviks established a new government, 
the Soviet of People's Commissars, with Lenin as its leader. In the early days of the February Revolution in 1917, Trotsky, who was at the time a prominent figure in the Bolshevik party, began organizing an army workers and soldiers in Petrograd. These groups, known as the Red Guards, were intended to defend the gains of the revolution and the rights of the working class. Shortly thereafter, Trotsky was elected as the chairman of the Petrograd Soviet, a powerful and influential workers' council that would merge with Lenin's radical socialist agenda. By the summer of 1917, Trotsky's group was fully absorbed by Lenin's, with the latter giving Trotsky a prominent leadership position. Trotsky's organizational skills and oratory abilities were instrumental in planning and executing the new October Revolution of 1917. Trotsky was a key figure on the Military Revolutionary Committee, which coordinated the armed uprising against the provisional government. It was under Trotsky's leadership that Red Guards, Bolshevik soldiers, and other supporters of the revolution seized key points in Petrograd, ensuring the success of the Bolshevik takeover. The provisional government was effectively dissolved and the Bolshevik officially assumed power. Afterwards, Trotsky was appointed People's Commissar for Foreign Affairs. During the Russian Civil War that followed, Trotsky was responsible for organizing and leading the Red Army. His leadership was instrumental in defending the Bolshevik government against a variety of anti-Bolshevik forces. Following Lenin's death in 1924, Trotsky appeared to be Lenin's natural successor, but he would lose the power struggle to another young revolutionary within Lenin's inner circle, Joseph Stalin. One of the central ideological differences between Trotsky and Stalin was the question of permanent revolution. Trotsky advocated for the idea of a permanent revolution, which called for the spread of socialist revolution beyond Russia's borders. He believed that socialism could only succeed if it became a global phenomenon. Stalin, on the other hand, promoted the concept of socialism in one country, which emphasized consolidating and building socialism within the Soviet Union's borders only. During these power struggles within the Soviet leadership following Lenin's death in 1924, Trotsky and Stalin became bitter rivals. Trotsky was quickly outmaneuvered by Stalin, who used his position as the general secretary of the Communist Party to consolidate power and gain influence by putting anti-Trotsky people in positions of power around the elder statesmen. Trotsky and Stalin had vastly different personalities. Trotsky was known for his intellectualism, charisma, and eloquence as an orator. Stalin, in contrast, was more secretive, calculating, and ruthless in his pursuit of power. Their personalities clashed, and Trotsky saw Stalin as an opportunist and a threat to the principles of the communist revolution. Stalin, on the other hand, held a long-standing grudge against Trotsky for his opposition to his rise to power and his critique of the bureaucratization of the Soviet government. Trotsky, in turn, was deeply critical of Stalin's autocratic and repressive policies, such as the forced collectivization of agriculture and the Great Purges. Sensing a threat to his power, the Soviet dictator expelled Trotsky from the Politburo and the Communist Party before exiling him to present-day Kazakhstan and banishing him from the country altogether in 1929. For eight years, Trotsky traversed what he called the planet without a visa. Since Stalin expelled him and his wife Natalia from the USSR, the beleaguered revolutionaries had found temporary sanctuary first in Turkey, then France, and then Norway. The Trotskys were finally granted refuge by the leftist government of Mexico. During his exile, Trotsky remained a vocal critic of Joseph Stalin's leadership and the direction that the Soviet Union was taking. He saw Stalinism as a betrayal of socialist ideals and principles of the initial Bolshevik Revolution. 
He wrote extensively on the subject, exposing the purges, the Great Terror, and the increasing totalitarianism of the Soviet regime. In 1938, Trotsky played a central role in the formation of the Fourth International, also known as the International Left Opposition. This organization aimed to unite revolutionary socialists and Marxists against both capitalism and this time also Stalinism. He argued that the struggle for socialism needed to be international in scope, which put him at odds with the Stalinist policy of socialism in one country. Stalin not only hunted Trotsky, but anyone close to him from country to country. In Barcelona in June 1937, Soviet assassins abducted Trotsky's former collaborator Andres Nin, a leader of the Workers' Party of Marxist Unification. Nin disappeared, never to be seen again. Thirteen months later, in Paris, Rudolf Clement, who had once worked as Trotsky's close secretary, was kidnapped a few weeks after he vanished, a body missing its head and legs, washed up on the shorelines of a local river. By late 1930s, Stalin's propaganda machine had turned Trotsky into an enemy of the state. The narratives presented by the accused positioned him at the core of a vast global anti-Soviet plot. Exploiting his calls for a revolution against Stalin, the Soviet Union denounced Trotsky, a staunch opponent of fascism, as the ultimate fascist figure. In addition to alleged ties with the Gestapo, Soviet investigators asserted that they had discovered Trotsky's associations with Mussolini, the imperial Japanese government, and Western capitalist democracies. Trotsky's ongoing struggle against Stalin took on a fresh and concluding dimension at the start of World War II. Through a continuous flow of articles and interviews, he strongly criticized the Soviet Union. Regardless of the motivations, Trotsky labeled Stalin as Hitler's subordinate who reacted to the actions of his superior partner. At that point, Leon Trotsky's days were numbered. Since moving to Mexico with his family, Leon Trotsky settled in a villa situated within a high-walled compound guarded by armed personnel day in and day out. The now 60-year-old Russian man knew that there was not much that could protect him from the Soviet dictator's wrath. In the morning hours of May 24, 1940, a group of 20 gunmen stormed Trotsky's walled compound to carry out Stalin's orders. And although the would-be assassins sprayed the house with bullets, including the walls of Trotsky's bedroom, they missed their target before they were forced to retreat. Leon Trotsky's bodyguards, mostly young American Trotskyites, would not let themselves be caught unaware again. The young protectors expected the next attack would come from a bomb, so they heightened the compound's exterior walls, bricked over windows, and added watchtowers with money provided by wealthy American communist benefactors. According to a History Channel article, Trotsky would shortly after say to one of his supporters, Thanks to the efforts of the North American friends, our peaceful suburban house is now being transformed week by week into a fortress, and at the same time, into a prison. Three months later, on August 20th, 1940, just as Trotsky was tending to his rabbits, he received a known visitor. The compound guards that afternoon were unfazed by the arrival of Frank Jackson, a known Trotsky supporter. They never questioned the fact that he was wearing a raincoat, even though the blue and sunny skies gave no indication to any precipitation. Instead, the men greeted the visitor and returned to their work of connecting a new siren system on the villa's roof. Frank Jackson was an alias of a Soviet assassin, Ramon Mercader, a Spanish communist recruited and trained by Soviet intelligence through the order of Joseph Stalin. Recruited by the NKVD, the Soviet secret police, in the late 1930s, Mercader was soon assigned to Soviet intelligence and trained in espionage, sabotage, and assassination techniques. 
the one-time communist radical was given only one mission, infiltrate Trotsky's inner circle and kill him. To facilitate his mission, Mercader adopted the identity of a Canadian named Frank Jackson and traveled to various countries under the false identity, attempting to establish credibility as a foreign correspondent. Posing as a handsome playboy, Mercader began to seduce one Sylvia Agalov after meeting her in Paris during a meeting of the Fourth International in 1938. The American Agalov became politically active in left-wing and socialist circles in the United States during her youth. By the time she met the would-be assassin, she was already associated with various left-wing organizations and movements, including the American Trotsky Movement and his Fourth International Society for a New World Revolution. More importantly, she was also Trotsky's newest secretary. The Stalinist agent followed her to the United States the following year. The much-in-love Agalov convinced the Soviet agent to move to Mexico City. Unbeknownst to her was the fact that that was exactly what the spy had hoped for. Blinded by the whirlwind romance, Sylvia introduced her new communist boyfriend to her boss in early 1940. By August, Mercader was close enough to the elder Trotsky that even the guards did not blink an eye as he entered the compound. On August 20th, 1940, the young man approached Trotsky who was in a courtyard tending to his animals and told the Soviet leader that he had drafted an article he wished Trotsky to review. The Soviet statesman smiled at him and implored Mercader to follow him inside his study. Once inside, as Trotsky walked toward his desk and turned around, the Soviet assassin pulled out a pickaxe from under his raincoat. And to Trotsky's terror, he buried its sharp steel edge in Trotsky's skull. To Mercader's surprise, even the blood pouring profusely down Trotsky's face did not stop the elder statesman from grabbing the assassin and wrestling him to the ground. At that moment, the guards burst into the room just in time to stop the frazzled Mercader from discharging a pistol he hid in his raincoat pocket. As the men jumped on him and began to beat him with the butts of their rifles, a weakened Trotsky told them to stop. Don't kill him. He must talk. The two men were rushed to the hospital where Trotsky slipped into a coma. He would die the next day on August 21st, 1940. In his pocket, Mercader had a letter written for just in case he had lost his life in the attempt to kill Trotsky. In this document, he asserted to be a disenchanted Belgian Trotskyite by the name of Jacques Morinard. He alleged that he had attacked his former idol due to Trotsky's refusal to support his planned marriage to Agalov and his attempt to coerce him into orchestrating an assassination scheme against Stalin. The Soviet government was quick to deny any responsibility, although Stalin did bestow the Order of Lenin upon the assassin. The Order of Lenin was one of the highest and most prestigious awards in the Soviet Union and later in the Russian Federation. It was established by the Soviet government to honor individuals or organizations for exceptional achievements and contributions to the state, particularly for their outstanding service to the Communist Party and the Socialist cause. Mercader served a 20-year prison sentence and was released in 1960 as part of a Cold War-era prisoner exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. He settled in Cuba and was honored by the Cuban government and the Soviet Union for his role in assassinating Trotsky. He died in 1978. Trotsky, who became just one in the millions of Stalin's victims, had his ashes interred under a large monolith engraved with a hammer and sickle in the garden of his Mexico City home. 
The assassination of Leon Trotsky was a dramatic and tragic event in the history of the Soviet Union and the broader communist movement. It underscored the extent to which the Stalinist regime was willing to go to eliminate political opponents, even those in exile. Hope you guys enjoyed today's lecture. Tom and I will be back later this week with a full episode. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.